Hello, this is Nigel Planer. You're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. This is Phoenix 98 FM. Yes, voiceover later, you are listening to Phoenix FM on uh, with me, Stuart Pig, right now. And joining me on the phone right now is none other than actor, comedian, playwright, and all round national treasure, Nigel Planer. Hello, Nigel. Hello, hello. How are you? We're on, uh, we're on, what radio are we on? Uh, we are on any radio in the country, but this is Phoenix FM. All right, hello. Is, is that all right with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I just, yeah, yeah. Oh, sad. <laughs> so how how you been living the Vida lockdown? How's it been going? Yes, not bad, actually. Not bad. I kind of missed trees and uh, things. I live in central London. Yeah. Uh, but we're getting out a bit more nowadays. But uh, I've been recording with my little guitar in my room, in the bedroom. And I've been writing a book. Oh, excellent. I've kept myself creative and busy, and it's not been too bad, actually. Nice. Are we going to get an album soon? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What what I've done is recorded, finally, all the songs I wrote when I was a teenager, oh, which have brilliant. never been recorded. Um, and uh, with uh, Chris Wade, we've been just... He's in Leeds, I'm in London, but we've been just sending little files back and forward. Doing some and um, recording these songs, and they're quite sweet because they were, I'm quite old. They were written in like 1971. Oh, brilliant! They got a 70s vibe to them. Yeah, they've got they've got a very sort of sweet, folky, folky sort of Nick Drake type vibe to them. Oh, nice! Oh, we look forward to, uh, to any any album title yet. Do we know? Yeah, well, I'm thinking of calling it Five Songs Left." Five songs left. Yeah, in homage to uh, Nick Drake's first album, Five Leaves Left. Oh, nice. Um, but there's more than five songs. There's about twelve. But I thought that's quite, you know, that's quite fun to call it Five Songs Left when there's actually twelve songs. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there'll be five songs left when they get like seven in. <laughs> 17, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, they're pretty, I mean, we're just recording, I'm just recording, and I can't even play properly, and my guitar is broken, so when I play, I have to hold it together with my elbow. <laughs> so they're going to sound like they were recorded in 1971 as well, you know. Oh, real authentic experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so we love... it's, But it's fun, it's been, it's been good fun, that, actually. Yeah, doing something. You, would you probably not have had time to do that kind of thing if uh, we hadn't been in in no. lockdown? No, we did a few before. Um, we called it uh, rain smoke, but you know, I say a few. We got like two done in about four years. <laughs> you because yeah. this, you know, you've got to get on with stuff, haven't you? Absolutely, there's always something something going on, isn't there? Yeah. You've been a busy man, of course, uh, on and off the West End and yeah. TV and all sorts. Yeah. Um, I say I say all sorts. I mean, we're talking like some of the biggest musicals that, that, that have been in recent times. What's been your favourite character to play on a West End stage, Nigel? Oh, um, the favourite character, I think, was Grandpa Joe. Oh, yeah, Charlie and Chocolate. The one I did at Drury Lane and Charlie and the Chocolate. But actually, if you count stadiums and not the West End 
my even more favourite character was another grandpa I just played last Christmas um, in a in a piece called Grandpa's Great Escape, one of the David Walliams shows. Oh yes. And do you count Wembley Wembley Arena as West End? Well, do you know? I think we can let you have that. Yeah, if you've done Wembley, okay, great. Well, then that's my favourite <laughs> character. He's the the grandpa who steals a Spitfire. Oh yes. It's a very it's a sad, beautiful story. It's a wonderful story. Um and that was definitely my favourite character. Had to grow a massive RAF moustache <laughs> and uh lovely cast of people and we played arenas all over the country. Oh awesome. you know, these massive venues all through uh, Christmas. Fans young and old as well, should I imagine going along to that kind of thing? Yeah, whole families. There was a very touching bit at the end when my character dies. You know, he disappears. The Spitfire he's stolen disappears. Oh, okay. Yeah, it goes to the and big sky. Grandpa, and he, he, you know, he was very close with his grandson. And this, his uh, funeral, having a funeral, and there's a big photo of me at the funeral, a big moustache, his uniform on. Yeah. And then they did a lovely thing. They, they um, photoshopped away to a, to a still a photograph of me but a photograph of me when i was 25 <laughs> still in raf uniform because of course i was in shine on harvey moon when i was 25 oh wow yeah yeah playing an raf guy oh, that's handy at the age of 25 which happened to be handy and then they bled that photo my face onto a real photo of all the Spitfire pilots when they were young, you know, with their <laughs> arms over each other's shoulders, standing by a Spitfire, all the young boys, many of whom were killed, obviously, Yeah, yeah. in yeah. the Battle of Britain. And it was, it's really, it was such a moving end to the show, you know. It was lovely. Oh, beautiful. I mean, that, that, that clearly got you the role, if you if you'd gone to the trouble of being in an RAF uniform at the age of 25. No, we only, <laughs> they only came up with the idea later, and they said, have you got a photo of you as a young guy that we can use in this thing, and we'll have to bleed it onto a, you know, onto an old photograph. Yeah. And it's only then we thought, oh, actually, this I can do better than that. I've got a photograph of me <laughs> actually in an RAF with the short back and sides and the whole thing, you know. Doing the whole shebang. <laughs> Amazing. So one of the roles, uh, obviously, people will, will remember you fondly from uh, playing Neil in The Young Ones. Yeah. Obviously, you've done so much since then, uh, but do you ever, did you ever think at the time that was out, uh, that this little sitcom would be such a huge success for all of you? Um, well, we knew we were on something with the whole sort of movement of the comedians that we, you know, that I was working with at the time. Yeah. But I didn't know really what a huge success would be, you know, would be, is. We we didn't really know. Yeah, yeah. What the power of telly is and what, you know, and this is days, sort of pre-celeb days. Mm. I don't mean pre-me. I mean, there weren't that kind of thing. yeah. The whole new, whole new era. You didn't have that kind of uh, celeb shows, you know. There weren't reality TV shows like there are now. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a big surprise how it, how it, the, the things when they get successful go like that. How they, how they panned out. 
I was watching, uh, just to catch up before our chat, I was watching the University Challenge episode from the other night, and I'd forgotten how many people were in it uh, that have gone on to do some amazing things. Oh, yeah. Uh, throughout, I mean, obviously, we worked together in, in loads of different things, the Comic Street Presents and uh, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap. But uh, have you ever, you've seen, obviously, you've all gone on to do other things, some, some hilarious characters and some really serious uh, characters between you all. Oh, has anyone surprised you doing things you thought, I've never pictured them doing that? What of the people I know, you mean? Yeah. Um, Adrian, my name Adrian Edmondson. Yeah. Turning into a, a bit of a good straight actor. Yeah. He's not bad. And uh, in the early days, you know, he was Mr. Shouty and... <laughs> he, you know, he had the sort of violent comedy thing. Smashing through walls, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it surprised me. He's, he's actually turned out to be a pretty good straight actor. He does quite a lot. And he's pretty convincing. Yeah. I think which, I've... which is even harder when you know someone. <laughs> it, it, it's harder to, you know, you, you can, to be convinced that there's somebody else is, is harder, obviously. Yeah. But uh, no, I think he's that, that surprised me. He's been pretty, pretty good. I saw him on uh, Star Wars recently, standing there at the helm of the ship. I thought uh, uh, difficult to take this seriously, but he's he's doing it very well. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one. Oh, uh, that's probably not the one I meant. <laughs> no, 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 probably not. <laughs> but yeah, and things like you know, Sir Lenny Henry. Yes. That's, that's really not surprising at all. I mean, I, I remember saying really early on, when are they going to give him a knighthood then, you know? Yeah. Because the, the sort of level of achievement and, you know, what he, what he stuck for, and he started doing the big Shakespeare roles and comic relief, and you think, well, that's, there's no surprise there, really. Don't Incredibly talented bloke. Huge amount, yeah. yeah. With a huge, uh, a huge amount of sort of energy, and and uh, you know, so it didn't surprise. That didn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a top, top bloke. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned some of your uh, early days, and uh, you already said it. It wasn't really anything like it is today. Uh, but thinking back to when you started out with a, a new um, alternative kind of comedy back in the eighties, um, I'm a practicing stand-up comedian myself Nigel uh, emphasis of course on the practicing uh, thinking back to some of your early days and some of your early audiences what was it like as a performer back then uh, unleashing this stuff to people who hadn't seen anything like it before well originally come comes from the the comedy store and the comic strip clubs and they were pretty sort of gladiatorial you know Gladiator, well, how do you say that word? Yeah. Gladiatorial, um, like gladiators, you know, with a gong and big thumb, a crowd of people, um, and you had to be funny. Yeah. And Alexi was the compare very aggressively, um, and so I reckon it was originally it was quite a good uh, baptism to be to be to go through all that quite sort of toughening experience but it does mean that I'm uh, a bit of a laughter junkie yeah you know I like it if the thing is 
it, you can tell when it's working if people are laughing. Whereas in a in a drama, you're never quite sure. Yeah. Occasionally this... you get a feel. Oh, you think, oh no, this is we we we've got them. You know. But it's harder because you don't know. If they're being quiet, they might just have fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah, they're either emotional or tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, a good friend of mine uh, who does our, our film reviews, uh, he's on the show later on, Mark Searby, who wrote a book about Rick Mail. Uh, it's called Rick Mail Comedy Genius, available at all bookstores. Uh, but he interviewed a lot of people who worked with Rick, yourself included, of course, and... Uh, and it seemed like everyone who worked with Rick absolutely loved him. Couldn't hear a bad word about him. But uh, you were there from the beginning. I think in character he told you to shut up several times and he even killed you uh, sev- several times. Rick was a bit of a bastard, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes, a total utter utter. Really. <laughs> He's a, a, a measuring stick of bastardness. Um <laughs> Measuring. Yeah, what's the name of the bloke who wrote that book again? I remember that. Uh, Mark Searby. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a bastard too, really. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of which, uh, you and I have a mutual friend in Chris Wade. Uh, you mentioned him earlier on. You've been rocking out with him. That's right. Yeah. He tells me that uh, he wrote a new book and that you narrated it. I said he was lying, and he said to prove it, you'd give me a ring. So here we are. It must be true. That's true. That's true. I've done a few narrations for him, and we made these music projects, like I said. Um, I've only met him a couple of times, once in Leeds and once in, once in London, when we recorded. And then, you know, we send each other fires every now and then and sort of, you know, just do stuff. Um, Virtually collaborate. I, yeah, I really like the way he is sort of self-sufficient, you know. He just makes stuff and puts it out there. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have to wait around and wait for approval from, you know, uh, publishers, editors, whatever. He just makes stuff and puts it out. Yeah. That's what And uh, I think it's brilliant. Wonderful. So he he sent me this latest one. I mean, you said it's a book. It's it's a story. It's pretty short for a book. Yeah, short it's story. A nice little story. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Book. This is uh, Raymond's, so... Raymond's room. It's called, and you can get it on Bandcamp. I think Wisdom Twins book Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Um, and it's. Uh, I've tried to do the most sort of manic crazy narration I, I can <laughs> you certainly don't fall asleep for this story I, I'll tell you that it's good no oh good good <laughs> yeah yeah I tried to sort of I thought you know it's just me at home obviously we haven't been in the studio we've just been working from our homes and I thought there's a tendency for everything to get a bit slack you know yeah yeah relaxed a bit over relaxed so I cranked myself up to do this and I thought no I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine I don't know, maybe imagine Rick a little or Chris himself a little, just just try and get a bit of sort of craziness in here, you know. Yeah, chat a little bit of crazy in the, in the home studio. Yeah. Uh, it comes yeah. across. I, I, Great, good, I'm glad, I'm glad, yeah. I feel I, uh, I, I identified with Raymond a little. Uh, it's probably not a good thing, is it? But I think everyone in their life will either know a Raymond or they are Raymond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, he's alone in his room and he's sort of fantasizing in a quite a paranoid way, really. Uh, <laughs> and then he suddenly thinks thinks he can control the whole world. And then I won't tell you what happens at the end. No, no. But, um, yeah, he's been, I, I quite like that, the sadness. I think that's another reason to do it all manic. Is because if you did it, if you read a story like that, and went, oh, it was another day, and he's all on his own, did a kneel on it. <laughs> yeah. I think it would get, you know, it's much more funny to go, it was just another day. <laughs> the same thing was happening, you know, and yeah, and give it some welly. You know, uh, anyway, I had fun. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, it's, it's about what, 50 minutes, an hour worth of, of listening, but it's, it's a good laugh. Is it really that long? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I suppose you could say it's a book then. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask yeah. you that you've done obviously done a lot of voiceover work in your career, uh, but I imagine narrating a whole book is can be quite a long job, is it, to to put all that together? Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, quite a few audiobooks. I did a lot of Terry Pratchett books. Mm. I did about fifteen of them with all the different character voices. I enjoy it. I like doing them, and I've done a couple recently for a guy called David Luddington. Who writes good, you know, funny characters? Lots and lots of things happening. Yeah, I don't know. is it? I mean, it must be. Do you have to have to read it once at least before you can then start reading it again in your in your voices well, and stuff? Yeah, like? you should. You should, shouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you've got to check through that nothing's going to come up and surprise you. Yeah. You know, uh, so you do have to go through, you, you know, you've thought of this brilliant voice <laughs> and you go all the way through and and then the narration will tell you later on, you know, he said in his shrill nasal voice, because <laughs> in fact he was a princess, <laughs> or, you know, and you think, yeah. oh God, oh, I've just read the whole of that in a gradually. Like an hour's worth of narration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, it turns out he was the murderer. Awesome. You know what I mean? You, you, you've got to sort of slightly know where you're going. But I, I, I'm not good at too much study because I think it's things are funnier when, you, when they take you by surprise as well. Yeah, keep you on your, on your toes a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. So 2020's been a, a bit of a, a funny old year. Uh, none of us have a crystal ball, but what's, what's hopefully coming up uh, in the next year or, or so for you? You've got your album coming soon. Well, yeah, we hope so. I've got a book that I've written Ooh. called Jeremiah Born in Time. And it was an audio drama before. Similar was an audio drama. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure if publishers will like it. <laughs> because it's already been an audio drama. Oh, yeah. Because it's already... You know, I, I don't know where I am business-wise. But it's a funny book, and it's different from the audio drama. So at the moment, I'm busy sending that to people, seeing if I can get some of the publishing. Yeah. And if not, I might just do a Chris Wade and do it myself, you know. Yeah, just stick it out there. On, just can you do bad? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've enjoyed writing it. Yeah, so people who've enjoyed it. And then the... I've got a play I've written that I thought nobody would do. is going to go on next Fingers crossed, providing theatres happen ever again. Yes. Uh, it's going to go on next February in Liverpool. Oh, wow. What's it's this? called All Above Board. 
And I thought it was funny when I wrote it, but I've, I've not <laughs> yet found anyone to, to kind of think it was as funny as I did. Uh, but this guy I've just spoken to today, he said, no, we'd love to do that. It's really funny. We're, we're really happy. Oh, fantastic. So this is so called... That's, that's a bit of good news today. It's called All Above Board, yeah. Watch out for it. Based on a guy called Matthew Board. Oh, okay. Who has a radio show. <laughs> oh. And his catchphrase is, is he, he, he says he never understands anything that's going on. <laughs> so his catchphrase is, it's all above board. <laughs> I'm liking it. I'm liking it. This is going to be good. <laughs> you mentioned that the stages and the theatre has been uh, a little bit out of action, well, completely out of action for, for quite a long time. As someone who spent a lot of time on stage and uh, around uh, theatres, it must yeah, be quite a worry yeah. to see a lot of these places boarded up. It's, a, it's more than a worry. It's, it's a disaster. Um, when it first came out, I, I sort of tried to drum up some some support for the people who just been put out of work. I put some money in. Mm, yeah. Like nothing compared with what is required. But I just felt I had to, you know, just mates who've been in shows and suddenly it's over. They've got kids, mortgages, whatever, stop. Then the government have put in these measures. I don't know if they're actually getting through to the people who need it. Yeah. Well, so many people then, in that um, position. There's also... Um, there's the Sam Mendes Fund. That's got a million in it now, I think, or one and a half million. He's pretty good, Sam. Wow, yeah, yeah. Sam Mendes. He's, he, you know, he had a sensible idea about investment back in theatre. Um, and then there's the Equity Fund. That's the one I gave money to. And I think there's yeah. another one that Ian McKellen is doing. Oh, wow. For, you know, hardship in, in the theatre with people... There is no kind of safety net. Yeah. And your job was only going to be six weeks long anyway or something. The, the, the ultimate sort of yeah. zero hours profession. The original gig economy, isn't it? If you haven't got a yeah. show to put yeah. on, you won't get paid. That's right. And so it's um, it's an absolute disaster, really. Yeah. I think, I, I think what might happen is that the smaller... Venues like that, my guy in Liverpool, smaller theatre. He, they might actually survive because they're they're not needing huge investment, and so if it goes wrong, they've lost one gig, but they get the next one. Yeah, that's Whereas true. These big things, like I read today, um, what's it called? Phantom has permanently closed now. Phantom the Opera. Yeah. Um. I mean, okay, wow. I had a good run, sort of 30 <laughs> years or something, so fair enough. Yeah. So it's, it's a sort of indicative that the, the business model of a large show, which costs 10 million to mount, the risk is just so great if you can't put enough it. people in, the, you know, Get if you can't get an audience, that's it, you just lost 10 million quid. Yeah. So they're, they're um, I think the big ones will really suffer. Do you think this is something that the, the smaller ones will hopefully get uh, come out a bit better out of? I mean, for a long time, the smaller ones are struggling. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm... Maybe I'm just saying that because I spoke to this bloke from Liverpool today <laughs> and I'm kind of just... Hoping we're going to win. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're on, you know. But, um, yeah, I think it's possible. If you, if you were going to try and start a show now, wouldn't you think 
right, we'll if we go to a small venue, it only costs thousand dollars, you know, and we'll manage with a small cast, not much set. Yeah, we've only got to get four hundred people to come and see it, and we've broken even, and everybody got paid. Yeah, that's what. Rather than thinking, is it going to cost ten million to mount it? Um, we've got to raise that kind of money, and we need four hundred thousand people to see it before we go into break even, or something. You know, you, yeah, it, it's a bit more scary, isn't it's it? It's a huge investment up front with big risk, isn't it? It's yeah, just a, it's big just risk. Thing. When people, I mean, when are people going to feel confident, even if they're allowed? Because social distancing will mean theatres are like 30% capacity. Yeah. And you can't run a show, commercially speaking, on 30% capacity. You can't even run a show on 60% capacity. Have you seen any of these? You need 80% if you're going to break even and have everyone go home being paid. So it's theatre-wise, it's an absolute disaster, I think. Have you seen any of these drive-in experiences they've been putting together? No, I've seen that they're doing them, yeah. And good luck to it, you know, hopefully. Then people will be inventive. I'm being slightly more optimistic. Yeah. (laughs) People will start writing and creating according to what the limitations are. So it might, uh, you know, make new forms of brilliant entertainment. Yeah. Hopefully. People will think, oh, well, that's not that way of writing. It didn't work, so we're going to do it this way. And, you know, some, something new and creative would will hopefully come out of it. So, yeah, maybe I shouldn't get too pessimistic. <laughs> it's just thinking of all the people who are committed, you know, mortgages, yeah, kids. Family to, to run. And, and the te- you know, the, the difficult uh, thing they're having to go through now. The art itself would probably survive. Oh, definitely. There'll be... It's just the people suffer in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, it'll rise from the ashes, I'm sure, and uh, and hopefully... Yeah. Well, we'll all come and see your show in February. Yeah, yeah, please do. Nigel, thanks for chatting to us. It's been an honour to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Any time. We'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Yeah, it's good to speak to you, Stuart, and uh, good luck. Phoenix 98FM. Go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews. Check the events for your area and listen to great radio online.